And we're off, aren't we? Indeed we are. <laughs> so welcome to episode one, not zero, of the Law and Business Podcast. I'm Anthony Verna. I have a special guest with me. Say hi. Hello, listeners. <laughs> with me is Michelle Carter. What business are you in, Michelle? Um, I do public relations for select clients. Very good. Welcome. Thank you. Of course, I've known you for a long time, so, you know. It is a pleasure to be here. <laughs> for those of you who forget who I am, I'm Anthony Verna. I'm a partner at Kravitz and Verna PLLC, where we do intellectual property, trademark copyright, and advertising and promotion law. <sighs> That's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> I am also going to be speaking at the Small Business Albany Exposition, October 1st. I'm doing the opening remarks, and I'm doing a seminar on trademark and copyright law for the small business owner. Although I never really liked the idea of being just a small business attorney. But um, this is well, a small a, business exposition, isn't it? And it's a good thing you're not just a small business attorney. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it is a wonderful event. And if you have a chance to check it out, you really should. It's October 1st in Latham, New York. Did I pronounce it correctly? You certainly okay, did. Okay, very good. And you can go to smallbusinessalbany.com if you want to register. Excellent. So this is the Law and Business Podcast. Um, and... It's it, what I find interesting is this intersection that a lot of people find that sometimes maybe law stifles their business, and sometimes they find that law helps their business, and sometimes people are just confused <laughs> because all they want to do is business and not worry about you know what laws what laws say. A do you have any confusion? In, in these particular areas? No, but I, I would say that um, I have seen with, with multiple clients that their their ignorance of the law can certainly come back and, I, and bite them. <laughs> and so I always advise people to do the legal on the front end. You will thank yourself later. I, I promise. That almost sounds like, like you should hire an expert as it, well. It it does because experts have the, the uh, ability to be expert in their field and actually know what they're talking about. Now, now let's go to people who, who sound as if they don't know what they're talking about. Because I heard, I, I, I have, you and I were talking earlier about Donald Trump, mm -hmm. obviously before we were recording, and he has sued Trump Entertainment, which Whoever he doesn't own. Who would have predicted that? I, <laughs> and part of, part of the issue is that he's, he's only a, a minority shareholder of Trump Entertainment. So what he says doesn't go. However, because it's still called Trump Entertainment, it's a license for the name Trump. And Trump is has many federally registered trademarks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can find Trump for obviously the casinos, obviously for real estate. And uh, I'm sure for... Don't forget the Trump board game. I didn't know that... a big part of 80s history. <laughs> <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember Trump Airlines? I do. Yeah, he he was trying to set up, um, I guess, it, some, something like a semi-private charter, starting like out of Atlantic City, you know, to like, you know, luxury spots, although I guess that didn't really like stick well, did it? <laughs> <laughs> um, apparel. I know there's there's Trump apparel out there. It might be a picture of Donald Trump saying you're fired. So... <laughs> 
it might be through like NBC or something like that. But so, so Trump is associated with many different industries, mm-hmm. and he has sued Trump Entertainment because thing, uh, built the Taj Mahal is, um, I think, threatening to close if it isn't closed. I forget which casinos in Atlantic City are closing, but the, there's the Trump Marina, there's uh, the Trump Taj Mahal, the Trump Plaza. I forget which one is closing. And um, so he has sued for basically trademark infringement and a breach of contract. And he has said that the reason that the suit is um, in existence is because he wants to take the name Trump back out of the licensing agreement because Trump Entertainment has not held um, his name to the standard that's required mm-hmm. of luxury, standard of luxury that the Trump name requires. Right. Well, I mean, I, I've i read that his complaint is that the casinos as a whole really fail to meet industry standards um, across the board, whether it's services, food, operations, uh cleanliness it, is is it is it um industry standards or is it donald j trump standards i think that's a fair question he says <laughs> the problem is industry sh- standards well you, you know on one hand there's a federally registered trademark here and trump is a federally registered trademark and especially in real estate and in the gambling industry however you define the gambling industry mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in this particular, you know, and in this particular case, we're dealing with casinos because obviously gambling can be state lottery, gambling can be horse tracks. Um, here we're dealing with casinos mm-hmm. and hotels as well, so it could be the hotel industry as well. But I know that Trump's a federally registered mark. So when you're, when when a business owner is doing a licensing agreement, so we have the licensor is the trademark owner, and the licensee is the company that is paying for the license to use the mark. And this happens, of course, in all sorts of industries. And I always talk to clients and I always say, look, if you're doing a registered trademark and you have a product that you think could be licensed or you think could, you know, you could take a license, you need to think about this in both directions. Um, you know, for example, I have a client and, and I wanted the client to take the product and put it on apparel or find a company that would want to put it on apparel and kind of turn it into its own personality. And I can't really go into more of it lest I, lest I divulge attorney-client privilege, but if you have something that, that, that can be put into other industries and maybe you're just not the person who wants to be in the T-shirt business, you can take your, your mark and license it to you know, another company that would be able to do that. In this particular indus- in this particular instance, Donald Trump is not an owner in Trump Entertainment. So as a part of booting him out, when they did boot him out as a majority shareholder, there was a licensing agreement for not just the name, but also the federally registered trademarks. Now, do those license agreements have... Um requirements that the business be conducted at a certain level? Does he have uh, any remedy? The, the, in short, since I haven't seen them, I don't really know the answer to that question. But, but, um, they should. <laughs> and I don't really care if, I don't really care what the level of business is. Like, you know, Trump is sitting here talking about the, the, the Trump luxury 
um, level. And and look, we we know that if you're you know buying real estate in a Trump building is going to cost a lot more than than what's next door just because one building has the word Trump on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a level of luxury associated with the Trump name, but this should be true for every single license agreement. Mm-hmm. A license agreement needs to be thought of in several parts. One, the intellectual property. Two, the actual product. What are the standards of the product? And three, the cash flow. And for a lot of companies, the license agreement is not really a flat rate. Or it might be a flat rate per um, dollar amount. Um, but for many license agreements, if you're dealing with a product rather than services, because a T-shirt is going to be calculated radically different than services, than restaurant services or casino services. I mean, you know, how you count the money matters. For a lot of products, there are going to be things like returns. And so how you, know, you calculate the money or shipping. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a contract is going to have those monetary considerations. But there needs to be an IP standard and there needs to be a product standard. So, for example, you know, Trump isn't going to put his name to, um, you know, Slumlord Apartments. <laughs> you know, at that point he could own, you know, the Bronx at that point. <laughs> okay, I'm being silly about that. <laughs> I'm being totally silly about that. But. You know, it's totally different than the Trump buildings, you know, in, on uh, the Upper West Side sure. of Manhattan or on the Jersey City waterfront. Those are luxurious buildings. So the level in your license agreement of standard of quality has to be stated out in a license agreement. Because at that point, if the licensee fails to maintain the level under the contract, the licensee is. Um, able to be sued for a breach of contract because they're not following the contract, but also for trademark infringement. Because one of the things that I harp about, and I know you've heard me harp about this, Michelle, is that trademark comes with a product. Mm -hmm. And whether that product is good or a service, that's what matters. And in this particular instance, the level comes with the trademark. And so... If it's a casino, but it's not a casino that's making enough money, or it's not a casino that's decorated properly, or it's not a casino that just attracts the right clientele, it sounds a little ridiculous. I mean, what's the actual quote um, in there? I know it's it's sitting here. Oh, here it is. The licensed entities have allowed the casino properties to fall into an utter state of disrepair and have otherwise failed to operate and manage the casino properties in accordance with the high standards of quality and luxury required under the license agreement. And and while a lot of people, you know, might laugh at such a statement, one of the issues here is is just that that's what's in the license agreement. I don't necessarily know that an utter state of disrepair is the proper uh, <laughs> phrase um, because I'm sure that's not quite right. But all all that has to, to happen is that's not maintained to the proper level that was agreed to. Now, what if the licensee said, well, Atlantic City is a, a failing city. We're, we're lucky that we have the doors open. And we are maintaining this at a level that's higher than some of the other casinos. Maybe not what it was, but it's certainly a a higher level of experience than you would experience somewhere else. Does that meet the threshold? I I, I would say that's an interesting argument. 
I don't know that um, it, it really is going to pass. You know, it, again, when it comes to a license agreement, the agreement is the law of the case. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be determining what the standard is by what the agreement states and how specific the agreement is. So um, we're not going to change the standard just because it's in a certain particular city. We're going to be dealing with the agreement. And, and so we'll be looking at that. I, I mean, if if a licensee or licensor, excuse me, wanted to license a product and the licensee was making a product that children could swallow, you know, <laughs> I mean, do you think do you think MLB or, or a team would love you know, a product that, you know, children that wound up breaking and children were swallowing it. I, I highly Probably doubt. Not. Yeah, I highly doubt that. So I, I would say that, um, you know, that those particular standards are not going to be because we're in one particular, you know, portion versus the other. It's going to be just what is the standard of the agreement? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure that the analogy I gave isn't perfect because we have inherent federal standards that a lot of us have grown up on uh, you know so from that particular standpoint um i don't know if the analogy i made is completely perfect but it makes sense all right good i'm glad i'm glad you think it makes sense i mean you know i'm a lawyer i tend to ramble about law and and (laughs) and i'm here to keep you on track oh good i'm glad somebody is i'm sure i'm sure anybody listening is probably glad that somebody is all right. So what's next? <laughs> what what whatever whatever you'd like to talk about is next. I have some I'm I'm I have some cases that I wanted to talk talk about as well because a lot of people don't quite understand um, in trademark law that you can be sued for filing a trademark and um, or that there's a process for determining one trademark versus another trademark and how they get confused with each other are, are you saying that when people try to file their own trademarks they can get themselves into legal hot water <laughs> yes I, I i am <laughs> and I, I i i i love how the sarcasm comes dripping <laughs> off of your tongue <laughs> but uh yes and, I, and i've got a well, couple i'm not being sarcastic when i tell you that many of the clients i've had who have run into legal trouble is because they tried to do it themselves of course and you know so there's a reason why we're not specialists in law because we specialize in our, our own industries and, and i'll tell you sometimes sometimes lawyers who focus on trademark law um will in their exuberance for billable hours <laughs> probably um probably file cases that um, go a little far as well and or sometimes file um uh, a trademark application that absolutely conflicts with what else is out there and we'll look at a couple of those cases but to take a step back the first thing that that any business should be doing when it comes to trademark law is due diligence and doing a trademark search and seeing what else is out there. Absolutely. And in this, and and let me give you an example here. Here's a, here's a trademark called uncle Giuseppe's marketplace. Rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue, right? I would like some, some uncle Giuseppe's today. You know, I'm very glad they didn't use the Italian word, although I forget what the Italian word for uncle is Uh, (laughs) for, um, of course, Sauces. Okay. 
So, you know, you can get your Uncle Giuseppe's sauce in there. And, and I love the fact that the Outlook sound was in the background. It's probably me. Yep. Oops. Uh, <laughs> we're going to keep it in there. I'm not editing. Um, but anyway, there was um, Uncle Giuseppe's was already a registered trademark for prepackaged frozen entrees consisting primarily of pasta and sauces for sale in food stores. So, do you, do you see any conflicts there? Maybe a little. Ma- one. Ma- maybe a little one. Would that be? But would, if you keep your your head down, your competitor won't notice, <laughs> and everything will be fine. Isn't that typically how it works? <laughs> that's not how it worked out. No, that's <laughs> that's generally not how it works out. So, uh, what happened in this case? Well, I th- would you like to guess what happened in this case? I'm guessing someone had to withdraw their mark. <laughs> yes, the uh, petitioner um, who filed, I believe, yes, it was Uncle Giuseppe's Marketplace, had the application canceled because there was already a previous one there. This was not a, a, a uh, lawsuit as in two parties going head-to-head. Uh, this was an appeal when you file a trademark. Uh, somebody can, uh, the the examining attorney at the Patent and Trademark Office either gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and there are reasons why you would get a thumbs down. In this particular case, the examining attorney said, there's already Uncle Giuseppe (laughs) in pasta and, hold on, hold on, prepackaged frozen entrees consisting primarily of pasta and sauces for sale in food stores, and, and basically said that's really much like ready-made sauces. I don't know. This really feels common sense to me. I, I feel like I'm not talking a lot about law here. To me, this feels like it's common sense. Same trademark, same goods and services. It is common sense, but we all know in business. <laughs> Ooh, somebody's cynical side's coming out. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it seems to me that, that that's an issue that could have been resolved with just a Google search. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I think that sometimes, especially when we're starting new businesses, we will get an idea or a concept and we'll fall in love with it and we will pursue it at all costs, even if it doesn't necessarily make business sense. And I think this is a perfect example of having your idea and and needing to be flexible with it so that you can have it continue and grow into a successful business. I, I, I agree with you on that. And there have been plenty of times when I have told a client, you need to start over. You need to find something else. You need another trademark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it doesn't mean that your frozen food is terrible or that it's not going to sell. It just means you need to call it something else. Exactly. And I'm sure it was Uncle Giuseppe's recipe, and I'm sure he was someone who was very important to you. But you know what? Maybe consumers will identify with Uncle G's better. Yeah. I I mean, that's that's possible. Um, That's an interesting question. Now, would Uncle G's be different than Uncle Giuseppe's? Now, that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you and know, I didn't even go to law school. <laughs> but you know, you, you know, you know what else this points to for me is that um, there are issues here, such as common words at the moment. I, I would say that you have to make sure that stuff that is commonly associated with your goods or services are you know, not really in use, Mm -hmm. you know, like 
you know, seeing Giuseppe there reminds me of how stereotypical. San Giuseppe, right? <laughs> but just the word Giuseppe in general. You know, you know, you take a look around at what Italian foods are called and, you know, maybe avoiding words like Giuseppe or Francesco <laughs> or, you know, nonna, you know, things that that are um, heavily associated with Italian food and Italian culture in the United States might be something to um, shy away from. Sure. And I think in that particular aspect, when you're doing branding and you're, and you know, a business owner is speaking with a branding company, and business owners should be speaking with branding companies. Absolutely. This goes back to hire an expert. Indeed, it does. And in this particular case, you might want to do your trademark search while you do your branding, you know, so that your branding company and your lawyer work together. Absolutely. And, and and you'll have to, as a business owner, you kind of have to deal with um, maybe some confidentiality issues on how your, your lawyer can work with a branding company. But um, the two do at least need to speak to each other and say, um, you know, here's what we're thinking of. Here's what, you know, here's what a good trademark is versus here's what a good brand is. Because sometimes a good brand is, is very descriptive. And in trademark law, you can't have a descriptive word or phrase um, un- unless it has what we call secondary meaning, so you need to, to you know you need to kind of be flexible between what's a good brand and what's a good trademark. Um, in this particular case, I probably would have just said, "Look, you're calling it Uncle Giuseppe's, really?" You know, <laughs> I, I mean, even if there isn't an Uncle Giuseppe's out there, is there something that's less stereotypical? Mm-hmm. You know, that that can put something in the mind. But here, the standard is: are the goods and services the same right are are the you know and is the mark not the same but are they similar economically related and is the mark similar enough in sight in sound in meaning so that in that you put those two together so that consumers get confused when they look at two products and they see the same trademark and they're very similar sure you know if a consumer thinks that two products are going to come from the same company then there's that likelihood of confusion will nullify the junior trademark. Right. So in this particular case. Um, and it's not going to help consumers find you either. That That's very true. I, I mean, the good thing, what I like about, you know, trademark law is that it's about helping a business do business. Mm-hmm. And if, and if. A consumer can't find you. You're not going to be able to do business. If a consumer thinks that you're coming from some, your product is coming from another company, you're not going to be able to do business. There's just going to be confusion. So this area of law helps businesses actually do business. Absolutely. It, so what the court said, just to kind of give you some some legal phrases, because I haven't done a whole lot of that in this particular episode. I love legal phrases. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> um, the 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 standard, just like I had said before, is that the goods need only be sufficiently related that consumers would be likely to assume, upon encountering the goods under similar mark, that the goods originate from are sponsored or authored by, auth- authorized by, or are otherwise connected to the same source. And in this particular case, the company that was applying for the Uncle Giuseppe's marketplace um, showed that, uh, or tried to argue, that there are differences between 
ready-made sauces, and pasta and sauce entrees. However, the examining attorney at the Patent and Trademark Office defended the Patent and Trademark Office's position by showing um, Amy's. You know, you know Amy's products quite well. Okay, um, they're usually vegetarian, right? Yes. Okay, so Amy's has uh, Amy's brand pasta sauces and Amy's brand pre-made entrees composed of macaroni and a creamy cheese sauce. Now, the one thing I will say is that it's interesting how the Patent and Trademark Office attorney is using a macaroni and cheese dish, and we're talking about Italian food. So I'm sure a lot of people listening had red, you know, tomato sauce, which I grew up calling gravy, uh, stuck in their heads, you know. (laughs) So I would say that, um, you know, sauce is sauce, regardless of what's in it under trademark law purposes, sauce is sauce. Um, Also, there's this little brand called Newman's Own. I think you've heard of Newman's Own. No, never. Never? (laughs) Of course. Um, Of course, there's Newman's Own pre-made skillet meals comprised of pasta and sauce. And, of course, Newman's Own pasta sauce is um, also uh, sold separately. And, of course, we can talk about Barilla. Barilla brand pasta and sauce prepared entrees. And you can find Barilla brand pasta sauce all by itself. So, so, so in other words, as far as the, the PTO is concerned, food is food. I, I don't know that I would say that food is food. The PTO um, and, and trademark law in general does believe that apparel is apparel. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're wearing, um, whether you're wearing, say, a good suit or you're wearing underwear or you're wearing a swimsuit or you know, clothing is clothing because those machines that are making the really good fine suit can be stopped and you can load new patterns into it. And that can then be a swimsuit and, right. and new materials. And then you could stop that and you could change the materials and then you can make underwear and, you know, or whatever. So apparel is apparel that I will that I will grant. I don't necessarily believe that food is food, but I can see where you're going with that. But in this particular case, certainly we can see that a pasta and sauce frozen entree dinner <laughs> is going to be similar, or at least economically related to just a jar of sauce. Sure. Regardless of what the sauce is. So um, in that particular case, it's the same, um, same trademark, same goods and services. It's something to be avoided. Fair enough. Excellent. Um, we have another case, and I'll go quickly on that one that I wanted to um, that that I wanted to bring up. And as so, soon as- moral of the story is: speak with your attorney first. <laughs> do some research before you file your mark, because unfortunately, as far as this case was concerned, I'm sure that filing the mark was not the first step that they took. Well, they could have packaging, they could have branding, they could have logos. You know, and, sure. and all of that money is now gone. And 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 I will tell you that there are attorneys listed in this particular case. So obviously, I don't know what was done beforehand. I'm not going to assume that a trademark was just filed and then let's and then they just decided to see what would happen afterwards. Mm-hmm. But one never knows. Um, but yes, I would do the research. I would do the due diligence first because if there's something out there and it's no. You want to know that? I'll tell you what. Sometimes, um, sometimes I will do what is called a quick and dirty search, 
And the quick and dirty search cannot give me a yes, but it can give me a no answer to a client. So yes, if I were to go on Google or the Patent and Trademark Office uh, website and I were to have typed, you know, Uncle Giuseppe's, I'm sure I would have found this particular registration. I probably would have had further discussions with my client as to um, uh, this particular issue. Because look, if uh, if the applicant were senior to the registration then the the applicant would have had the ability to cancel the registration. And that's not what was argued here. So for those of us who speak legal, what you're saying (laughs) is that the the person who just got rejected, if they could prove that they've been doing business under the the Uncle Giuseppe name for 50 years and the existing (laughs) mark was by a company that's only five years old, they could have challenged that. Uh, Yes, exactly. And that wasn't the case. Strictly speaking. (laughs) illustratively michelle carter law to english dictionary there you go we have our translator okay so what's next all righty so what's next um is something that a lot of people like to deal with and that is um recycling i'm a fan okay all right so um here is a here is a mark called green depot and um services identified as recycling do you like that Green Depot? Kind of catchy. I guess so. No, do you, I mean you're not not no, a fan. Well, I mean, when I hear Green Depot, I'm thinking of a place that I can go and buy you know solar <laughs> panel chargers for my laptop and rechargeable batteries and you know green like Home Depot except right. green. <laughs> but I can you know I can see making it work. So um, in this particular case, um, the examining attorney at the Patent and Trademark Office found. Um, three separate Green Depot marks already in existence. Oops. One of them represented online retail store services featuring home improvement products, retail stores featuring home improvement products. <laughs> there you go. There you go, right? Maybe I have heard of this company before. <laughs> um, two, Green Depot Biofuel for, quote, public advocacy to promote awareness of biofuel. That seems to make sense. Um, the three, Green Depot 360 Network, and that is for, quote, marketing and advertising ecologically friendly consumer services and construction and design professionals. Hmm. And then there's something, uh, and then there's a fourth one just called Green Depot. And I will tell you that the goods and services description is so long that it is practically obscene. <laughs> and um, you do want to be careful about your really long it's, – it's, what, a page? Because it's that half page and it's this half page. Mm-hmm. And, and I will just say it says more about retail store services and everything that, that the retail store should, should um, sell, making it look like a Home Depot. Sure. So um, the applicant uh, you know, was Green Depot for recycling. Patent and Trademark Office attorney said, no, you can't do it. All right. Um, and then they appealed. And in this particular instance, we're dealing with um, marks with designs in them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what happens often is that a trademark attorney is going to say, no, look, there's a design. No, look, look, that word is differently styled than this word. 
<laughs> and it's funny that you point that out because obviously listeners can't see this, but right. I can see the logos that are associated with these these various companies, and I might not know that they are different businesses because they are all very similar. They have you, all, in some way, well, taken the O in Depot and made a leaf out of it. Okay, so so the fact that and you realize that that these are the same company. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, the, the, no. The, these are the same company. This is this is one company, and then and then the others, right? So we only have two companies here. The one that's applying for it, and all of these other ones are okay. the same company here, right? So it's not like the PTO is letting six companies use use Green Depot. Mm-hmm. Every single one of these previous registrations is from the same company. Got it. That's why those look the same. <laughs> so they all have the same designer. Right, exactly. Um, now, the, as you can see, the applicant looks very different than the registered trademarks. Yes. Um, so the first thing that, that this trademark attorney does is he goes, different. Oh, look, they're different designs. <laughs> because um, that's kind of, he's got nothing else, right? right? He's got nothing else because the words are exactly the same. And even the board discussed, the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board discussed the fact that the marks look um, similar. Here it is. Applicant's mark has the letter O formulated in the shape of a fruit with two <laughs> leaves on top. I think that's supposed to be a globe, not not I, I not agree. a fruit. I don't think it's supposed to be like a pineapple. <laughs> um, and the re- cited registration has the letter O shaped itself as a leaf. Um I'm going to tell you this right now. That is never, ever going to be enough to create a difference because effectively um, the words matter. Right. Okay. So the words matter, not necessarily the um, not necessarily the, the design or the stylization of words. That's not going to matter as much. Um, and then the applicant tried to describe, tried to claim that the terms green and depot themselves are weak so that uh, the uh, registered marks are not protectable in and of themselves. And that's an interesting argument, except that I would I would tend to agree that green does go towards recycling or um, environmental consciousness, for lack of a better phrase. I think that's fair. Okay. Um. So while the board said that green is highly suggestive or merely descriptive for recycling services, that's mm-hmm. it, it is not necessarily um, descriptive for the other services that were stated here, such as the uh, retail store or advertising, um, consu- you know, ecologically friendly consumer services. Right. So while there is some relationship, it's not necessarily the same. Whereas when you're just saying recycling, there you go. Yep, relationship. Right. You know that that that's where that you know describes the relationship. So um, you know, there's you know that's an issue. Also, these are the only two companies with Green and Depot in the same mark. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's not as if there are a ton of people coming up saying, "Oh, Green Depot." You know, you know, it's not quite like, um, um, you know, it's not like, you know, like Walkman. You know, everybody started calling it a Walkman when we were, you know, you know, I'm not going to, you know, when you we were are kids. Dating yourself, I know. I well, I'm, you know, 
Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? Nobody, nobody called. Nobody called like every MP. We used to say that we would go Xerox something. Well, yes, and then yes, but that's that. Now you're dating, <laughs> you know, and you're not that old. <laughs> you are not old enough to know that without knowing me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Um, the the issue, of course, of how different the goods and services were um, was one that, of course, does come up. However, uh, the examining attorney from the Patent and Trademark Office had a number of third-party websites and other references that referenced the use of recycling with retail home improvement services. And you can, you know, there are, you can probably Google that yourself. And um, so, therefore, the board said that recycling in today's world is uh, very much related services to home improvement. Okay. So, therefore, the uh, marks themselves were disallowed. I don't think that is quite as clear cut. As the last one, but I think that a, a little bit of work probably would have shown that that's really not. I don't really think that that's that big of a leap. I agree. So, um, I'm I'm not going to talk about any more cases, but I think we talked about the fact that you need to do the due diligence. Right. Absolutely. Y- you know, you know, in order to create a mark, you need to talk to experts. You need to talk to your branding company. Any branding company will do. You know, just hire a branding company mm-hmm. and have the branding company and your IP lawyer work somehow work hand in hand. And remember, if if you're going to license, you know, your mark. And frankly, I think if you're going if your business is going to have a registered mark, it, it should be stuck somewhere in the back. Like, what else could this mark be used for other than the core business? Right. And there are standards. In licensing, I've done licensing apparel, you know, apparel licensing agreements, and you need to make sure that that standard is there regardless of the license. Makes a lot of sense. Alrighty, I guess we're going to be finished. How's that sound? I think that sounds good. Wonderful. How can people reach you? Uh, they can go to my website, Michelle hyphen carter.com and that's michelle with two l's as it should be spelled (laughs) (laughs) and of course you found me so i hope everyone knows how to reach me but uh, you can visit my law website at at kravitz law firm website at kravitzverna.com kind of like lenny kravitz and (laughs) the podcast of course is posted at vernalaw.com thanks very much for listening